May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. On this week's episode, you will learn three new insights to help grow in your understanding of fibromyalgia and related problems. One area we'll look at is the role of weather, looking at flare-ups, looking at kids and pediatric fibromyalgia like pain or central pain syndromes. For many people, fibromyalgia didn't just start in adulthood, but there were symptoms that started many years, even decades, before formally being diagnosed. Also, stay tuned at the end for listener feedback and on to this week's episode. Welcome to the Conquering Your Fibromyalgia podcast. I am your host, Dr. Michael Lenz. I am a pediatrician, a internal medicine physician, also certified in lifestyle medicine and clinical lipidology. I've also authored the book, Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers and Real Solutions for Real Pain, trying to weave the best of medical management with the best of lifestyle medicine using an evidence-based approach that's comprehensive and multifaceted, starting with information to help teach you and help you understand more about fibromyalgia and related problems, then to inspire you that there is hope that you can improve and even reverse and put into remission fibromyalgia, and then also to equip, teach you about how you can get better. Remember, this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not replace a visit with your doctor. I want to share a type of problem that is pretty common in pediatric offices and it overlaps with fibromyalgia. Many of my patients who have fibromyalgia report having this problem going back into childhood. Unfortunately, it was likely somewhat dismissed or misunderstood and not fully managed properly. For those of you who are adults with fibromyalgia, this probably has gone away, but it's changed into other problems. If you're an adult with children, there's a decent chance that they may be suffering with this And if we can get on top of this, we can get help with this. This can help prevent, hopefully, leading to more complicated problems down the road. So let's start with this history and see if this sounds familiar. This is a patient who's about 10 years old. He's a boy, and he's brought in with his mom for intermittent abdominal pain. That's pretty severe. It's enough that he's gone to the school nurse and even called his mom to have him taken home from school. He's had this on the weekends 
where he's felt uncomfortable as well and had to just lay down and didn't want to play with friends or others. The pain lasts from a few hours up to a day, is somewhat crampy, and it's in the upper abdominal region. He feels nauseous with this, but didn't have any vomiting, but felt very close to it. And when he gets this, he just doesn't feel like eating very much. He has no other symptoms, at least initially, that are reported. There's no history of diarrhea. There's no history of bloody stools. Although initially not volunteered, when asked about headaches with these, he does report getting some headaches with this, but definitely not severe, mild to moderate, but not as bad as the abdominal pain that really catches his attention. What other symptoms are important to inquire about if you're a doctor listening to this, or if you're a parent wanting to give a complete history to your physician when you bring your child in with these symptoms? Well, one is, have you had any unintentional weight loss? Was there any blood in this stool? Is there any rash? Is there any bruising or petechiae? Those are spots that are signs of small hemorrhages in blood vessels that could mean some more severe diseases like Henoch Schoenlein purpura, for example. Does he have any bloody stools? Are any of his joints swollen? None of those were present in his case. Then there's other history that's important to know. Did he have this in the past? Mom reports it only started about six to eight weeks ago. Is there anything in the family history that we should be aware of? Well, it turns out that maternal aunt had a history of migraines and maternal grandmother has a history of fibromyalgia. How interesting. When asked about sleep, he reports having not the best sleep in the last six weeks. Sometimes he's got some restless sleep that's intermittent and doesn't always feel rested. During the week, he has to be woken by his parents to get out of bed as he wants to sleep longer. Mom reports that sometimes he complains of aching in his legs, like he's got growing pains. But it's not every night, and it varies. Family history is actually significant for Dad, who's got a history of growing pains when he was younger and reports intermittent restless leg symptoms. Now, one of the questions that I'm thinking of as a doctor are a couple key things. It's intermittent. In between, he feels good. They're associated with nausea and headaches. And there are no warning signs or red flags that would make me especially worried. And those include bloody stools, weight loss, persistent vomiting, more than 24 to 36 hours, unrelenting headaches. All of those could portend much more serious problems. The other key in the clinical history is that there is a maternal history of migraines with maternal aunt, as well as maternal grandmother with the history of fibromyalgia. In the history, it's also important to know about dad who has a history of restless leg and groin pain type symptoms, as well as he having some intermittent difficulty sleeping as well. The other question that I'd want to know is, what has changed 
and why is it happening now in the last six weeks? So what do you think has changed dramatically in the last six weeks to two months during this time when he's been having these intermittent severe abdominal pain with nausea and mild to moderate headaches? Well, one clue is it's winter. Another clue is that he's not involved in any sports right now. So living in Wisconsin here, this winters are a lot colder. And when I asked mom, how active has he been during this time frame compared to how active he is in the summer? And she said, wow, he is so much less active than he was in the summer. He finished basketball approximately six weeks to eight weeks ago, and now he's in between sports. The weather's cold and he doesn't go outside, doesn't play as much as he used to, and isn't at the gym, and he's not playing on the basketball team to get the exercise. So in tying that together, another question I want to know if anything else changed in the diet. Nothing else changed, so it probably wasn't caused by the diet, although there was a fair amount of cheese and dairy consumption, some fruits, not a lot of vegetables, not a lot of legumes, some whole grains, but this hadn't changed. Was there any other stress going on? Were there social stresses like being bullied at school? Were the parents having struggles, which none of those were going on? As I've talked on an earlier podcast, 90% of medical diagnoses are made by the history. That's why it's real important to gather the history and story together when you come to the doctor. After taking a careful history, the next step is, of course, doing a physical exam. And as a doctor, I'm looking just how vigorous, how active is he. And he wasn't having abdominal pain now. It had gone away earlier in the day, but he looked comfortable, did a careful exam showing normal neurologic exam. He walked normally, reflexes were normally, neck was supple, eye exam, oral exam was normal, no lymphadenopathy, lungs were clear, heart was normal, abdomen was soft, it wasn't distended, there were bowel sounds, it was non-tender, and there was no enlarged liver or spleen. He could walk easily without any difficulty. It's also careful to note that he had normal vital signs, he had no fever, and I forgot to mention earlier on the history that he had no fevers with these as well. So taking a careful exam with the history, what is the diagnosis? The diagnosis is abdominal migraines. This is a pretty common diagnosis in pediatrics. It tends to go away as puberty settles in, and it turns into more of an irritable bowel syndrome or typical migraine headaches, where the headache becomes much more predominant, and the gastrointestinal symptoms of nausea may diminish but not go away completely and there may be still some vomiting. Many young girls who get this when they go through puberty will start having much more painful periods along with headaches as well. How do we treat this? Well, depends on what the cause is. Uh, If there was 
in his case, a lot less exercise. One of the things was to ramp up the exercise so that he can sleep much better. It's also important to get a regular sleep schedule, important to eat a healthy diet. Part of the sleep schedule is not staying up late, but being consistent and also being cognizant of potential coexisting restless leg syndrome. If you have untreated restless leg syndrome, you want to make sure there's no iron deficiency. If you can, treating it with exercise, which in this child's case has a good chance because he did not have the symptoms when his activity was at a much higher level. Also, one of the things that look at is good, healthy diet. In his case, there was room for improvement, but he ate a pretty average diet, and the diet hadn't changed. Also, checking for any stresses that may be going on. In his case, there was no significant stress, but in one sense, not exercising was stressful for him. Another thing that's important to be cognizant of and to consider in follow-up is being aware that migraines occur more often in those who have untreated ADHD. So, hope this has been helpful for you. If you are an adult with this, like I said earlier, there's a good chance you may have had these. This might have been one of your first symptoms of fibromyalgia. Another key take-home message or thought is, what is the role of weather when it comes to migraines? I think a lot of patients that I've had will relate that they can feel when the cold front is coming or when the weather's bad, they feel bad. Now, there's a lot of mixed data out there, mixed research on causal effects related specifically to weather, but anecdotally, and I think kind of applying this complex connection between our environment and how we feel pain, I think this case demonstrates the impact of weather on this child's migraines. So how did it impact it? Well, the weather was much colder. The days were much shorter, and both he and his family were much less likely to be outside playing in the yard and less likely to get exercise. So from my experience, weather often negatively impacts the amount of exercise someone gets. And I hope that this case demonstrates the importance of regular consistent exercise. One tool that can be used is getting an exercise or activity monitor to count your steps. I'll have patients who've been tracking this over time, as we've talked on earlier podcasts, of how much exercise are you getting at your highest level. For many people, that's the most pleasant season of the year, which for the upper Midwest of the United States is when the weather is much more temperate and warm and getting outside is more pleasurable than when the weather gets well below freezing and that then causes a downward spiral of activity. For some people, it could be during the hottest times of year. You might live in Arizona, and in the summers, it might be so hot that you don't go outside and exercise. 
If you track your steps and say somebody's getting 15 to 20,000 steps when they're feeling the best, and then when winter comes and they maybe only are getting three to 4,000 steps, they have to compensate by substituting indoor activity or having to wear much warmer clothes. There's a store in the community I live in where the sign on the outside says, there's no such thing as bad weather, just inappropriate clothing. So you can make some adaptions. With that said, another factor with fibromyalgia-related issues is that extreme temperature changes, extreme cold or extreme heat, can by itself trigger a flare-up of fibromyalgia or fibromyalgia-related pain, or it can be a contributor. So your body becomes much more sensitive to pain when you're not feeling good. I hope this insight helps reinforce the importance of pacing and consistent exercise, even when you're not in a sport. Hopefully, as this child grows and gets older, the parents will be reminding him that he needs to keep active, even when he's not in a sport. And for many of my adult patients, they recall that when they were children, they were extremely active, but it was just called playing. It wasn't exercising. Unfortunately, most of our adults don't have a friend that knocks on their door after school and says, hey, do you want to run around and play for the next three to five hours and get about 15,000 steps? It might be a friend or family member or a pet, a dog who wants to be going for a walk and hopefully gaining that insight like I need this like a good glass of water and a healthy meal. It's just something that I need to feel normal. Well, thanks again for listening. I hope that this has given you some new insight and help you understand some of the clinical pearls of managing abdominal migraines if you're a physician or if you're a parent as well, helping you understand more about your child's migraines. There is more that could be said about abdominal migraines, but this is a quick overview. This may be interesting because if you are an adult who has fibromyalgia, sometimes it seems that fibromyalgia started out of the blue started suddenly in adulthood, but as I talk about in my book, Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers and Real Solutions for Real Pain, for many and probably most of my patients who have fibromyalgia, fibromyalgia-like symptoms started much earlier in life and often started in childhood. And then there may be an accumulation of regional pain syndromes from abdominal migraines to painful periods, in addition to some neck pain. And next thing you know, there may have been a sudden event creating diffuse pain and worsening brain fog as well as fatigue. And now time for listener feedback. This comes from Angel. She says, Dr. Lenz, I just finished the five-part series with Dr. Dobson. I loved it. Dr. Dobson is so encouraging and his kind words about ADHDers made me tear up a few times. I hope you can book him for future interviews. Also, I wanted to say how grateful I am to have such a passionate and knowledgeable doctor. Thank you for those kind words. They help 
motivate me to continue to do more episodes and help share more and more information about fibromyalgia and related problems. The next feedback comes from Sylvia, who says, Good afternoon. Thanks for your podcast. Very informative. Is there a doctor in the Tampa, Florida area that you would recommend to treat and diagnose fibromyalgia? There isn't a typical fibromyalgia expert. It usually crosses the line of many medical professions and probably the one who has the most contact with fibromyalgia patients is the primary care doctor. And depending on their comfort level, which for many, unfortunately, isn't high as many probably don't have a lot of training during their residency, they likely had to do a lot of self-learning to grow in their understanding. With that said, there are rheumatologists who are specialists in joint problems and autoimmune diseases, they typically, for the most part, prefer treating classic rheumatological problems that have a clear autoimmune connection. Many will make a diagnosis of fibromyalgia after the, quote, real inflammatory problems are ruled out. Now, you can have fibromyalgia with rheumatologic problems. So starting with your primary care doctor, often sharing information, insight that you have on symptoms you've had and your history is very important as well. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope that you can join us again next week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review, hit the like or follow button, and share with others. I hope to help people go on the bold journey from not just learning to live with, but to reversing and even getting the fibromyalgia into remission to the level of those who are unaffected by fibromyalgia. Until next week, go Team Fibro.